Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So if I left you a voice note, Mm. what would you think? Oh, I hate the voice note. My wife is obsessed with them, but she knows better than to send one to me. I've got a friend who, no exaggeration, she will regularly leave me nine-minute voice notes. I think we need to sort of do a shout-out to Emma Brocks, who wrote a piece in The Guardian that we both saw about voice notes. Mm. Should we just explain what a voice note is for those who haven't had the experience? Yeah, so it's not a voicemail. It's different to a voicemail. It's somebody hitting record on their phone, doing a brain dump, and then sending you that brain dump via either WhatsApp or iMessage. And I think, especially on iMessage, I'm not sure about WhatsApp because I don't really use it, um, but I think on iMessage there's almost like a this message will self-destruct component to it that once you've listened to it, it deletes. So you, you're listening to these things and you're trying to retain the information and unless you've got a, a pen and a piece of paper... Um, it's, it's difficult. Although that's not really the problem, is it? I mean, I, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, basically, Emma Brock feels the same way. The article is entitled to my horror. Gen X is turning to voice notes. I don't want to hear your mini podcast. Uh, so but let, we need to talk about the evolution of this, particularly for our younger listeners. So we used to have answering machines, correct? Yes. I mean, this is where it began, presumably. Yes. Do you remember um, you used to ring somebody's house and the answer phone would click in and then you'd, you'd, you'd just start the message by going, hi, are you there? Can you just pick up if you're there? Hello? Are you there? <laughs> no, I never did that, actually. Uh, okay, so what did we feel about answering machine messages? I mean, I don't remember having a big problem with no, answering I don't machine messages back in the day, but there was something so about... So just for the, the younger listeners, there were no mobile phones then, more no or less? No mobile phones, and basically people had a tape cassette uh, in a machine yeah. attached to the telephone, and if they weren't in, that that would click in. Or sometimes they were in, and they are just screening your calls. But um, I, I, never, I never loved the permanence of an answer phone message. But back back in those days, I didn't really give them too much thought. Okay, then someone called Gordon Matthews, not Bernard Matthews, Gordon Matthews, an engineer at Bell Labs in 1979, invented the voicemail. Did you know okay. this? No, I didn't. Matthews had been tasked with finding ways to allow people to leave messages for one another without having to talk directly on the phone. After several months of experimentation and development, he created a system that allowed users to record and transfer audio messages using a touch-tone phone. Matthew's invention of voicemail marked a major milestone in the history of telecommunication. This comes from something called the Enlightened Mindset website. Uh, prior to this, the only way to leave a message for someone was to call them directly and hope they're available. With voicemail, users could now leave messages for each other without having to wait for someone to answer the phone. Okay, well, so, so basically this seems to be quite significant. Yes. VMS. Now, then there was voicemail on mobile phones, Yes. 
which we're all familiar with. And I, I, I mean, we don't like those either, particularly. Not really, but I do enjoy the feature where it says to re-record the message, press three, because I will often do four or five takes of a message if I leave a voicemail. Okay, so I'm sorry to expose your sort of hypocrisy here, but how can you feel differently about a voicemail message left on a mobile phone and a voice note sent to somebody? because you weren't paying attention to what I just said. What I like about the voice... So I'd rather not send a voicemail, but if I do, if I don't like it once I've recorded the message, I can press three to re-record. No, no, but you can delete your voicemail message if you don't like there's, it. There's something your about voice note the way, message. There's something about the way those voice notes are designed that it's very easy to accidentally press send. No, but you're saying that the problem is for the sender. You're, you don't really believe that. It's for the receiver that the problem is. Oh, I don't even like so. them as a receiver. I especially don't well, you like, them like as a them, receiver. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you, you're more objecting to them as a receiver than a sender, surely. Mm, mm. But I don't like sending them either. I mean, I find them. I mean, people don't send them to me, but I mean, I, I don't like. Hang on. So nobody is sending you voice notes. Not really. No. Is that because you've made your disdain? No. No. I just. It's I mean, not making, it's, this isn't coming from a place of sadness that nobody's sending you voice. No, notes, no, no, it? no. It isn't. I don't. I don't really like. Well, I think it's because a text message or WhatsApp. You can sort of read in your own ways. It takes. Isn't there a sort of asymmetry here, which is it takes longer to write a long WhatsApp equivalent to a voice note, but it takes less time to absorb it and read it than it does to listen to it? Yes, yes. I mean, isn't there a sort of. There's a basically a kind of whose uh-huh. time is more important thing going on, isn't it? So it, it yes, it shifts the inconvenience onto the exactly. receiver, not the sender. Yes, I now think someone is someone at. in my office says said to me when I raised this Emma Brock's piece, uh, you know, no, that's it's fine. Just listen to it on double speed. But my problem is it's very difficult to to refer to them. So there's, if there's information that you need to action. Like, say you're in the, you're walking from somewhere to somewhere else, and someone leaves you a voice note. They're going, um, "Oh, do you know what? I thought we should go to dinner. Um, I'm thinking maybe next Wednesday or Thursday." Do people really leave me. you? Do be, how, how many voice notes do you get a week? Well, not that many because I've made my dislike of them clear to people, and I don't use WhatsApp. Does your wife get them? My wife is obsessed with them. What? I think she likes them. So she likes them. She she is constantly sending them. And she even, for a while, did this thing. It was like a mini podcast where uh, we've, we've got this other phone that she just uses for work and people sign up for it. And then she sends them a voice note every week. Like a newsletter. Yes. Yeah, exactly like that. Exactly like that. But, but it's, it's this point, if I can't, if it's a voice note... If I'm in the middle of something, I then have to go back and listen to it and fast forward through it to find what time they want to go for dinner or um, which day. Whereas with the text message, you can just look at it. Well, see, it's just your heart sinks when you receive a voice note, I think, basically. I mean, I haven't received very many, but my heart sinks because you've got yeah. to sort of then go and listen to it. Do you feel that we should be giving people the right to reply and not via voice note? Are you listening to this and are you thinking, no, actually, voice notes are great and here's why? I think we need to hear from particularly the younger generation who are more likely to use voice notes. Yeah, although this this uh, this article by Emma Brock seemed to suggest that it's Gen X who are the problem. Oh, I see. But maybe that isn't this, hasn't it spread from Gen Z? Yeah, maybe. Gen Z. Although, yeah, um, um, but I also read that they they are turning on WhatsApp as well. You sent me an article about that, saying they're going back to good old-fashioned text messages, like me, the refusenik. Did I send that to you? 
Somebody sent it to me. No, some one of your other friends. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, should we hear? We, 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 we're inviting our listeners to tell us what we're missing out on voice notes. Yes. Also, any, any stories of voice, um, voice messages gone awry where you've accidentally left something or you've left something that you instantly regretted and were unable to retrieve it? Because I think you can ah, do that with a voice note, can't you? Here's an interesting question. Mm. Given that I, one of my theories is that people's, uh, not exactly rudeness, but people's brusqueness has transferred from social media into text messaging, uh-huh. Right. Does it also carry through into voice notes, or are voice notes the more likely? To, are you more likely to be more careful in a voice note than you are in a text message or a WhatsApp? Do you see what I mean? I do, and and I have a thing where sometimes if I've got to leave a voice message, um, and I guess it would apply to voice notes as well, I w- I will make notes for myself because I find it very easy. As listeners to the podcast might have noticed, I find it very easy to lose track of my own train of thought. So I'm almost writing like a, a rough outline bullet point script. Before It's such a lot of admin to send a voice note or a voice message. You know, there's that Marshall McLuhan thing, the medium is the message. Yes. I mean, isn't, that, isn't this the question here, which is, does the medium change the nature of your message? In other words, maybe the case for the voice note is you're more likely to leave a more nuanced, reasoned voice notes than you are a text message or whatsapp but also maybe you're more likely to be rambly i mean i'm Um, incredibly struck about how younger people that i work with do so much more of their business on whatsapp and communication i think i may have said this to you before that people talk to each other less on the have a phone are less likely to have a phone call and more Mm. likely to have just an a, a series of exchanges which is like that and we'll say Oh, yeah, I talked to so-and-so, but they didn't mean I talked to so-and-so. They mean I had a sort of series of WhatsApp exchanges. I think I would rather have text exchanges than, than speak to somebody no, in, I think eight, in eight out of ten situations. Eight out of ten cats. No, I, I, I don't agree. I think, it's, I think the art of speaking to each other is important. Okay, boomer. Okay, so chat at uh, cheerfulpodcast.com. Yes, chat at cheerfulpodcast.com. And just on this, maybe we should read this email while we're on the subject because we were talking about, um, I, I guess, this brusqueness in text messages yeah. that you mentioned before. And we were talking about the use of emoji. And um, I forget who it was, but someone sent us an email saying that the thumbs up was the, was a yeah. dad emoji, a middle-aged dad emoji. And Luke Kiley sent this email. Subject, thumbs up emoji. Hi, Ed and Jeff. Um I'm 26, so I'm hoping I'm. No, still sorry, in the- sorry, sorry. <laughs> Love the pod. I'm 26. I think this is. This isn't just normal neediness. This is. We've got a 26-year-old listener. <laughs> He says, uh, "I'm I'm 26, uh, so I'm hoping I'm still in the young age bracket." D- definitely, yeah. I am partial to a thumbs up emoji, but normally only when it's a business work-related message. Uh, number two, I'm messaging someone I don't know particularly well. Three, I'm messaging my parents, Whoa. which I guess backs up the, the dad theory. Uh, four, I'm messaging a friend who is very much into their thumbs up for some reason. Otherwise, I will generally use a fist bump, a little smiley face with sunglasses, or even a... And I think that's the call me emoji, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. He says, one emoji stroke age-related phenomenon I've noticed is that those 22 and over 
tend to still use smiley face, laughing and weeping tears to express amusement, whereas those who are 18 to 22, so a very specific demographic here, tend to use the... Skull. What's a skull emoji, meaning I'm dead. And I thought LMAO, laughing my ass off, was too hyperbolic. And uh, to to answer your question, (laughs) what are you doing with your life? I'm currently emailing a mid-chart podcast hosted by two middle-aged men at 2.59am. So it's going pretty well. All my love, Luke. I mean, that's a really, that's a a high-class email, I would say. Yeah, thank you for that, Luke. Now, I wanted to talk, I'm going to try and sell you on something here, Mm. um, about a series on Apple TV called The Dynasty. Which Dynasty? Is the no, no, you've got to the, say the Carringtons and the Colbys. No, stay with me here because okay. you, there's a long way to go with this story. Okay, okay, if you okay. if you disrupt it at the sort of first hurdle, it's like really we're never going to end. Just because I've you down as a Dallas it. man. I no, 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 no. Honestly, but, but is it is it like uh, Blur and Oasis or the Beatles and the Stones? Really? If you're a Dallas man, you can't also be a Dynasty man. No, just just stay with me here. Okay. okay. So the Dynasty is about the New England Patriots, an American football uh-huh. team, uh, and their star quarterback Tom Brady. Uh, and Who the, even I've heard of. Yeah, no, he was their star quarterback. He was reti- he, well, not obviously, but he's retired now. And their head coach, Bill Belichick. Now, it's 10 parts. Um, How I've long? Heard, somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes each. Anyway, I've been through six of them already. I mean, it's... Um, wow. Right. I'm a New England Patriots fan. But, but... Okay, so there's two relatively serious things that I wanted to sort of raise about this uh, series. So Tom Brady is known as the greatest of all time, the GOAT, right? He's mm-hmm. seen as a great player. He's won, I think, six Super Bowls with New England, then he won one with Tampa Bay. Uh, he's won more Super Bowls himself than any team has won in the history wow. of the NFL, right? Okay, so here's the first really interesting thing, which is he only got to play because the New England star quarterback had a very significant injury. So... He was he was drafted 199th in the college draft, so really really low down. He wasn't even the backup quarterback. I think he might be the third or the fourth string quarterback. And and they had this star quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, and he only got to play because Drew Bledsoe got injured. So okay, so point number one: if Drew Bledsoe hadn't got injured, I mean, I wonder if Tom Brady would ever have become a thing. Well, I just think people always underestimate how much uh, of a role timing plays in everything. It's so interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's thing number one. Okay, thing number two. Right, Bledsoe is, recovers within about six weeks from this, I think it was a leg injury. Um, Bill Belichick is the quarterback. Uh, he's the head coach, sorry. Belichick had been fired in Cleveland, where he'd previously been the head coach because there had been a star quarterback who he had dropped. And the fans really liked this star quarterback, and they started, like, putting effigies of Bill Belichick in the town square, and eventually he got fired. Wow. So so Brady's playing. He's playing fine, but not out of this world, but fine. Um, Bledsoe recovers, and everyone assumes, okay, so the guy they've played $300 million for, he's going to be the guy that comes in. And Belichick's like, no, I'm sticking with Tom. And the whole of New England goes mad and says, why, you're an absolute idiot. How can you possibly do that? And he's already been fired for doing the same thing. Wow. And they go on to win the Super Bowl that year. So how much time elapses between the other guy getting better 
and results starting to happen. In uh, other words, how, how long the does results he have to hold are this? fine. Oh, yeah. oh well, no. In fact, the week that he's back, the week he comes back, uh, the week he's ready to play again, Bledsoe. Brady has a disastrous game, and Belichick still sticks with him. It's still going to be Tom, he says. Wow, so he holds his nerve. I mean, he's just quite extraordinary. And now, look, but there's sort of... People have mixed views on Belichick for a whole range of reasons. Uh, but but it's really striking. I mean, I thought this was a kind of quite interesting lesson for my kids, which is, you know, if you sort of believe something, really, you know, sort of sticking with the belief. And then the third really interesting thing is that Brady's the sort of ferry backup quarterback. He's traded, you know, he's drafted 199th, etc., etc. Within two weeks, he's with his teammates, talking to his teammates. Bledsoe is uh, still injured at this point. He's playing fine, but not all out of this world. And he's like, well, I'm going to carry on. Bledsoe's not coming back. And they're like, well, <laughs> they say, isn't that funny? You know, you're just like, like some stand-in says the star quarterback, you're obviously talking rubbish. So the combination of accident, yeah. Belichick's tenacity yeah. in sticking with what he believes, despite all these people saying you're wrong. And the New England fan base is pretty uncompromising, and then Brady's self, self-belief. But it's, it's a funny thing that sometimes you shouldn't stick with your belief. People sometimes stick with their belief far too long. Well, maybe that's true, but it, well, sometimes they don't. I mean, in this case, look... Belichick turned out to be right. Mm. I mean, he turned out to be, like, mega right. But isn't that just encouragement for delusional people who look at that and think, well, Belichick was right, so I'm going to keep going? That's interesting that that's your interpretation of it. <laughs> I, I thought we should ask our listeners for yeah. examples where they have ha- held to a belief, despite all their friends, co-workers, etc., saying, you're wrong. I read something about some is Super Bowl related too. I think it was Apple did some advert. It, it was like the, when the Super Bowl adverts really started getting going. They did some advert for some product they were doing, and all the focus groups and so on said it was a rubbish advert, and they stuck with it, and it was very incredibly successful. I was going to say I've got, I've got a friend whose dad absolutely his, his sincere belief was that the UK shouldn't be a different time zone to the rest of the continent and kept all his clocks on European time the whole year round. So, think- so he's lived his life having to um, subtract an hour from the time. But sorry, do you re- is your interpretation really of this, that the Belichick, exa- Belichick example is a, bad, is a bad example? Here's what it makes me think of. Sometimes you'll hear about um, someone who has very late in life career success. And what that does is it makes you think, oh, that could be me, instead of thinking, oh, that's the anomaly. Yeah, but that's the Brady thing, okay? There's two yeah. different things here. There's yeah. Brady's... I think the Brady example is shows that people's success, etc., can often be happenstance. Mm. Um, and, you know, it takes a sort of series of breaks for it to happen. But the Belichick example, I think, is a sort of... If the crowd tells you you're wrong, it doesn't mean you're wrong, is why. No, no, no. And I do, I do, do, do. I'm being slightly facetious. I think that's a good message. But also, it's equally possible that somebody in Belichick's position could have just like fixated, seen something in some guy when it wasn't there. No, no. But they they thought the Bledsoe was on the decline, mm. and that the whole the the brutality of the game and so on had had injured him or made him less sharp or whatever it is. 
that so they kind of had a a theory you know they had a kind of theory so it wasn't like he was playing into a sort of a, a blank canvas let me tell you something i i as a rule will not watch a sports documentary because of my yeah. a, a, aversion yeah uh, almost belligerent yeah. aversion towards sports but i'm very much enjoying having you watch them for me and then bring up the talking points <laughs> well what do you mean do you, so do you want I, me to watch some other ones? Yeah, yeah. Can you watch the last dance and then uh, then bring up the salient points? Which is the that? last dance? It's it's uh, it's the Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls one. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm only watching this one because I, you know, basically I grew up in partly in Boston and New England were terrible for such a long time, and then they became a sort of this dynastic team. Uh, and, and look, I don't want to sort of sugarcoat it. There are lots of problems with the team and the sport itself, and so on, but. But I just thought these these are these are sort of transferable lessons. I think anyhow, I'd like to know about the people who are stuck with the decision. So you're basically asking people to email in and say, "I told them so." Yeah, I told them. But I'm quite interested that you're quite obje- you're quite sort of sceptical about this. I mean, I you raised that- a man, you raised your friend's father in the clocks, which you know, with the greatest of respect, is a slightly absurd example. <laughs> I also have a friend whose brother was so rabidly anti-monarchist that any time he had to post a letter, uh, he would put the stamp upside down. I don't think these are the protests. Sa- I just don't think this is the same. And that hasn't Jeff, that hasn't made us a republic. Jeff, I just don't think this is the same example. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I just I just worry about the delusional. But the crowd can be wrong. They can. Yeah, I, I definitely, I de- definitely think that. Well, let's see. Uh, let's see what we get back. The email address is chat at cheerfulpodcast.com. And uh, in a minute, I have, I think, the best quiz yet for you. Well, do, I wouldn't sort of, you know, build expectations too high. I'm, I'm not worried about gilding the lily on this occasion. My goodness, okay. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, 
Uh, this comes from Paula Fister. I hope I've pronounced the name right. I think a silent P. Uh, subject appreciation of the familiar. Hello, we had to move from our rented house in 2014. We wanted to buy somewhere, but finances were tight. Our income was reduced as my husband was recovering from cancer and prices were already wacky, so we looked for a wreck out in the suburbs that we could do up. We were facing a big slog after a horrible time. Then we found that we met the criteria for a large shared ownership flat near the Thames. No repairs needed, just move in. Nearly 10 years later, when I take the dog for a stroll, look across the water, I feel the joy of being there every single time. Uh, in caps. I realise that what I've done is habituated the feeling of appreciation when I see the river. I've Pavlovved oh. myself into feeling joy. <laughs> Love the podcast, both the old and new former. Thank you for continuing the show. While Ed prepares for his next, cha- next big challenge, they really make me cheerful, Paula. Now, this is a reference back, as we say, the Labour Party, to a book that we wrote about last week called Look Again, The Power of Noticing What Was Always There by Tally Sherrott and Cass Sunstein. And I'm I bought this book and I'm reading it. Honestly, it's really good. Now, I want to ask you a quiz question because you've got a quiz for me. Yes. After how many hours do studies show that people start habituating to the magic of a tropical vacation? Is it 23 hours? A. 43 Mm -hmm. hours? B. Mm -hmm. 63 hours? C. Uh I'm going to say 23 hours. You'd be wrong. Uh-huh. The answer is, is that... 43 hours of arrival. Okay, so, so you've got 43 good hours. Apparently. Before it becomes okay, the norm. Okay, but here's a really interesting okay. thing also in this book, which is that they say the research shows that if you take an experience and a similar priced object, so in other words, a holiday versus a consumer good, yes, the holiday will give you longer-lasting pleasure, even though it's temporary than the consumer good yeah that makes sense to me can you think of a single object that has brought you as as much long-term pleasure as a my uh... swimming pool zapper <laughs> your thermometer yeah, is... I, su- I suppose like, maybe <laughs> so maybe maybe somebody would be able to say a musical instrument of Bi- my bicycle actually yes but um is it the object that's bringing you pleasure? Oh, or is it the, the experience, experience of riding the bike and the way yeah, that's changed your life? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. On the same subject, Kate yeah. Hillam emailed in, subject fresh eyes. Hello, Jeff and Ed. Your chat about trying to see familiar things with fresh eyes happened not long after I started musing over a tweet I saw by Create Streets, a lovely site that celebrates great street design, old and new. As I read that back with fresh eyes, I'm startled at how nerdy it sounds. No, you can't be too nerdy for us. Exactly. About that, Kate. Um, anyhow, they posted a picture of my local post office in Shaftesbury listing all the lovely things about it. I was taken aback that they were right. It is lovely, but it took a third-party observation to make me see. Yeah, I think if you get a bit of context on something, you can. Yeah. it can really change the way you appreciate it. Um, periodically, I take pictures around my home, pretending I'm going to see them on a property website. I tend to do it at points of change, the end of winter, after we've been cooped up inside too much, or when the kids go back to school. By looking at these spaces on my phone oh, screen, one step removed, I can appreciate what I love about them. The bookcase in the, in the corner or the sunbeam on the floor. I can also see what maintenance jobs need doing. Would I buy a house from someone who was happy leaving the carpet looking like that? The process somehow resets my contentment levels 
even though I know I won't get around to uh, cleaning the carpet. Perhaps Ed could do something similar in his office. I might have a too lofty view of his workspace, but I imagine some nice grain and a piece of wood panelling. You have lovely wood panelling in your office, actually. Uh, or a particularly attractive ceiling rose. No ceiling roses. But isn't isn't that interesting, sort of um, forcing yourself to look at your, your environment? in a slightly different way or from a slightly different perspective. The other thing is that the, the book is all about if you take a break from your normal environment, you'll come back and appreciate it much more. Aha. Uh-huh. Honestly, you really, this book is really, really interesting. Um, now, should we do hedgehogs? Yes. This comes from Rory Craw- Crawford, subject hedgehogs of Glasgow. Hello, you pair. Enjoyed your hedgehog chat. Never thought we had hedgehogs in our garden until I set up a wildlife camera trap. I did that, and then the camera went wrong. Why are you trying to do it to, to um, yeah, catch foxes the fo- in the act Yeah, and, and the, I actually just didn't caught the fox in the act the other day to try and capture some footage of robins for our CBB's show. Ooh. Plug alert. Chantal and Rory's teeny tiny creatures featuring feature swimming hedgehogs. Wow. I watched a bit of this last night. It's great. The mealworms I left out attend- ended up attracting hedgehogs, and the footage got used in the broadcast. Anyway, this wasn't all just a plug out show. I don't think we have the same target audience. But because one of the first things we did in our garden on the outskirts of Glasgow was leave wilder patches so wildfires cut holes in the fences. It worked. If you build it, they will come. Would never have known if we hadn't stuck the camera out. Everyone should get involved. They're lucky enough to have a garden. I think I'm going to try and repurchase one of these cameras. Side note, I've loved all your access to nature and biodiversity, biodiversity chats. More of it, please. If you want to do an urban nature reprise, I'm standing by. Currently working on a project called Nature Neighbourhoods with National Trust, working with 18 community organisations in town and cities around the UK to build community capacity for nature and co-create neighbourhood plans. Cheers, Rory. Well, as I say, I had a look at the TV show, which I enjoyed enormously. And I just like receiving email um, about um, small creatures that you've spotted in your garden so any more of those or hedgehog facts or any anything naturey yeah now i'm going to surprise you with a piece of information go on you've been setting me the homework of watching shrinking yes you thought i would never do it i didn't i watched an episode and i really enjoyed it yeah good are you just saying that no no because here's what i thought i'll be absolutely honest i thought I, i generally like ed's taste in tv but I don't know what's going on with him at the moment. He's very obsessed with this. He's watched it three times. I wonder if it's yeah. going to be a bit schmaltzy for me. I'd, I'd sort of seen half of an episode and it hadn't clicked. But I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm going to listen to my friend's recommendation, and I really enjoyed it. It's funny and it is heartfelt in a way, but it's got a bit more bite than I was expecting, which is what I like in my TV. I tell you what, I've got a deal for you. If you watch the whole series, mm-hmm. we can do a team up between They Like to Watch and Cheerful Chatteroo and interview the creator. Great. Are you in, are you responsible for the guest booking? No. <laughs> I think I will go back to it. So it's, it's Jason Segal as a, as a flawed therapist. And Harrison Ford. Um, and Harrison Ford is, is kind I of... I think Harrison is, Ford is just brilliant in it. Harrison Ford, even in this first episode, is fantastic. So I said that I'd made you a little quiz. Yeah. I'm going to call the quiz Ford Prefect. Okay. Which is to say that if yeah. um, if you get a majority of questions right, I'll get you a little prefects badge for this. What's the quiz about? The quiz is I'm going to give you facts and you have to tell me whether they are about Harrison Ford or former US President Gerald Ford. <laughs> okay. Okay. First one. Yeah. 
He was a Boy Scout of America and achieved the highest rank Eagle Scout. Gerald Ford. It's the right answer. Although, interestingly, Harrison Ford was also a Boy Scout of America, but only achieved the second highest rank of Life Scout. Um, small scar on the chin due to crashing his car into a telephone pole while searching for the seatbelt. Harrison Ford. That's correct. Gerald Ford had scars beneath the eye and behind his knee from football injuries. I'm on a roll here. Okay. Uh, did some modelling whilst at college and appeared on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine before his later fame. Gerald Ford. Yes. <laughs> he dated a model in college and they did some joint shoots together. Um, Favourite movie, To Kill a Mockingbird? Harrison Ford. Yes. Do you want to know what Gerald Ford's favourite movie is? No. Or was? No. R.I.P. Um, Home Alone. Oh, I've got four out of four, Jeff. This is unprecedented. I, I thought that was a more surprising fact, that Gerald Ford's favourite film was Home Alone with I'm, Macaulay Culkin. I'm just interested in my scores here. OK. Uh, once said, I like to have coffee until about 6pm, then I like a whiskey. Gerald Ford. Oh, that's uh, actually Harrison uh, Ford. Gerald Ford liked martinis, even at uh, lunch, but then cut back when he became president. OK. Uh, OK. Um had a breed of butterfly named after his daughter. Gerald Ford. No, that was actually ah. uh, Harrison Ford. Um, although uh, 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 Gerald Ford's daughter Susan once praised First Lady Rosalind Carter's work preserving the monarch butterfly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Favourite ice cream flavour, butter pecan. Gerald Ford. Yes, uh, my research was unclear on what Harrison Ford's favourite ice cream flavour was, although he did once go into an ice cream parlour in British Columbia and, uh, and, and, uh, and order a salted caramel cone. So the answer could be in that. OK, last one. OK. Um, said about living in White House, I just walk out the door and keep walking. If my chores are done and there's nothing more pressing and the weather's good. Said about living in the White House. Said about living in White House. Well, Gerald Ford... No, it's actually Harrison Ford who had a white house in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, okay, f- final one. Is the first search result on Google Images if you search Harrison Ford at White House? Gerald Ford. Yes, that's right. Um, you, you got lots of photos of him meeting George Harrison in 1974. Um, but further down the page, you do find a photo of Harrison Ford and Bill Clinton. So but I got six well- out of nine. You did, you did well there. I mean, I honestly, better than I've ever done in a quiz. Yeah. But you know what, can I just tell you, it was nothing to do... I was not thinking at all about what the questions or the answers were, or I was thinking about the answers, but I was just trying to think about what sort of kidology you were playing in, in <laughs> trying to make me think it was Harrison Ford when it was Gerald Ford and the other way around. <laughs> well, I think that was a great success. I've said it before, but if you listen to this and you have any idea for uh, quizzes you'd like us to try on each other, then um, do make suggestions. I'm happy to do the donkey work as well if you don't want to do the research yourself. But... Um, Congratulations on becoming a Ford prefect. Thank you very much. What quiz should we bring back for you to present on television from the 1970s or 80s? Bullseye? I could do the bully sounds. Yes, of course. I think that's... Uh, yeah. Can you do the bully sound? <laughs> <laughs> that was the most half-hearted. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, well, the uh, the e- email address is chat at cheerfulpodcast.com and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.